Thank you for joining us here at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in Philemon, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. You guys can grab a seat. If you'd like to, you can turn to Philemon right before Hebrews after 2 Timothy or Titus. Sorry, I forgot about that book. My bad. We've been in this book for a, a while now, a few weeks. John and Danny have done just a profound job of really covering a lot of wonderful things. I would encourage you to go back and listen to if you haven't done it. But before we jump into today, I just want to pause and, and thank you. It's been a uh, a month where the pastors gave me a, a month off to kind of be with my wife and take care of her through surgery, and things have gone really well. And I just, I wanted to pause and say, you guys, uh, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm overwhelmed with uh, joy with the way that you guys served and loved us through this time. And I, I will admit that, like, it has been hard for me as one of your pastors to be out knowing uh, it's been humbling having you take such great care of my family, knowing that there has just been much need for care for many individuals in the church through this difficult time. So thank you so much for the love you had for us. Thank you for the way you showed it and served us. We've been overwhelmed, and thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, Philemon is a, is a really, really beautiful book. It's an incredible book with a lot of really great points and things that should be taken from it. Uh, we're going to focus in on, on one area that I think is really, really important for us to understand as a body of believers, and that's, that's our understanding of how our relationship with God affects our relationship with each other. There's a lot going on in this book. I don't have time to cover all of it. I would encourage you to go back to listen to the, the podcast or, or watch the videos of the past to kind of get up there. But essentially what's happening is Onesimus was a slave to uh, a rich man named Philemon who was a believer that had, he had at some point left him, presumed, stole some stuff, at least lost some wages kind of in that situation. He's gone. He makes his way out of Colossae over closer to Rome runs into Paul at some point, and Paul preaches the gospel to Onesimus, and Onesimus surrenders his life to Jesus Christ and also becomes a follower of Jesus. And then some time where Onesimus and Paul work together, Paul's imprisoned, and so he's serving Paul in a number of ways. And at some point, Paul says, okay, Onesimus, you need, you need to go back to Philemon. You need to be reconciled back to Philemon. This needs to be dealt with. This needs to be worked through, whatever kind of, however that language was. And so that's kind of the point of this letter. This letter is given to Onesimus to give to Philemon, to read in front of the church that Philemon's over, most likely his house church at that time, and in, in Colossae. And that's where we are. Verse 17 is where we'll pick up. It says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you, now this word if is probably better translated since, since he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
And so he says some things. The Apostle Paul, kind of inspired by God here, does these things. He says some things and adopts some things that I think is really important for us to understand because he's playing a role in Onesimus and Philemon's life that, that's a role that we should pretty quickly recognize. The first thing he says here is he says, if you consider me or since you consider me your partner, that word partner is the root word for koinonia. Danny talked about it extensively a few weeks ago. I won't go into it too much in that regard because you can get it there. But he, he says, since we are co-laborers, since we are in this together, since we are brothers, since these things are in place, if, like, if this is true of us, then I want you to receive him, receive Onesimus as if you were receiving me. So there's a lot of presumption on the relationship that Paul has with Philemon here. He's saying, he's saying, you trust me. So because you trust me, and I understand he's hurt you, he, he ran away from me, he did his things there, he, whatever, whatever the, the, the pain that's felt there, because you can trust my character and who I am, I want you to pretend or, or see Onesimus as if you're receiving me. It's a pretty bold thing to say. I, I, many of us probably don't live a life where our character is such that we could just say, hey, I know you guys are struggling, but just, just trust me in this and let's go with it. But, but what would it like to, to, to be to live that way? He doesn't, he doesn't expect that Philemon would do it, but he calls on Philemon understanding his relationship with Paul because they had a good relationship. And so he says, look, receive me. He pleads with him. Verse 18 and 19, he, he does something that is really, really important for us to see, especially in reconciliation, especially in understanding our relationships vertically and our relationships horizontally, the way that we affect one another and how we are affected by God. He recognizes in this situation that, that Philemon has been wronged. He doesn't ignore his wrong. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, because maybe Philemon, maybe you were a little harsh to him at some point. He doesn't, he doesn't do any of the things. He just says, you have a loss. You've lost something. Something's been taken from you. You've, you've experienced loss and it's hurt and there's a cost to it. And instead of minimizing it or throwing it away, he says, charge that to my account. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's modeling something that we should all be like, wait a minute, this sounds very familiar. Receive him as if you're receiving me. Well, who else does it? Oh, God receives us as if he's receiving Jesus. He's saying, well, if there's any wrongs there, then, then let, me, let me take on that debt. Well, who else takes on our debt? Jesus takes on our debt. Paul is modeling. He's living out the gospel. If you remember back to the very first week when we did this, Danny said there are many ways in which the gospel should compel us and live in these specific ways. The gospel should, should affect every single thing. This is what Paul's doing right here. He's, he's showing the personal effect of the gospel by stepping in and pleading for Philemon and Onesimus to be reconciled. And he's trying to remove every barrier. He's saying, receive him as if he's me. He's saying, whatever debt you owe, charge it to my account. Now, that's an interesting thing because Paul's in prison, so who knows if he's going to get the work that he needs to get to, to pay that debt, right? But he's saying, charge it to my account. This, then he reminds Onesimus, of some, or Philemon, of something that's really interesting. He says, not even to mention what you owe me. Now, some scholars say that it, this is because of Philemon's faith is a direct reflection of Paul. What's a little interesting here is Paul does not call Philemon his son like he does Onesimus. And so some scholars believe that that's because Paul maybe wasn't the direct correspondence that brought Philemon to faith. Other scholars think that it actually is true that he was the one that walked Philemon through faith, but because he's trying to make this not a command and he's trying to plead to One um, Philemon to make a character submitted to gospel decision as opposed to this is what you have to do. Again, either work in there, but he, he says, <laughs> I'm not even going to mention that you owe me. Like, like, there's nothing, I'm not even going to bring this up. He's not doing this passive-aggressively, like, oh, by the way, you owe me, but I'll, I'll pay your debt. He's saying, I'm not even going to hold this, I'm not even holding this over you. 
I'm not even pursuing you in this way. I'm not even asking you to do this. And then he goes on and says something that I think is really, really interesting is he says, what I want. Like, I think if you were going to be in this position, if you were Philemon, and for a moment, just, just pretend for a second that you, you were told that this was coming, it's like, what does Paul get out of this? And most of us would think, like, we'd like to say, oh, he's modeling the gospel, and he's living that out, that's enough. But he actually says, no, I want something here, I want you to refresh my soul. And John spent, uh, a couple weeks ago, John spent some time talking about what refreshing the soul means, but he's saying here, ultimately, like, I want you to live in a way and act in a way, I want something to happen to you too that will be an immense encouragement to me that'll bring me refreshment in my imprisonment, in my trials, in my difficulty. This is why I'm asking this. What, I, what do I have in this? I'm not, he's not pushing an agenda. He's, he's saying, I just want to be refreshed. I want to see the gospel one, win out in, in Philemon's life and the gospel win out in Onesimus' life. And when they collide, I want to see the gospel played out. And this is what he's saying. That's, that's the benefit that there is for me. And then in verse 21, he does to Philemon the same thing he expected Philemon to do to him in verse 17. He says, confident in your character, confident in who you are. I believe that you'll not only do this, but you'll do more, even more. What is he doing? At the very verse 17, he says, receive Onesimus because of my character. Believe that I'm him. And now he's saying, I know that you'll do this because I believe in your character. He's holding up Philemon's character. He says, I know you're a man that's submitted to God. I understand that this won't be that difficult or hard or that you won't run from the gospel in this opportunity. He's, he's basically proclaiming, like, I believe in your character. Some scholars believe that when he says even more, that that could be to um, uh, emancipating him as a slave, that's possible, or it could have been that he wanted him to come back to him in Rome in, in imprisonment because he was so useful to him. Both those things could be true. But either way, what Paul is saying, he's saying, I believe in the character of God in you, Philemon. I believe in you that you will be receiving this? Do you live a life where others can believe that you will submit to the Lord and His Scripture humbly when asked to do so in a difficult situation? Is your life such that that's a possibility? That, or is, it, is your life such that that's an expectation when someone comes to you? No matter how scared or afraid, if a spouse is coming to say, hey, I see something in you, are you in a position, posture, humility, where they can be confident that you will hear the truth of God's word and you will humbly submit yourself gently to this? Do you live a life like that? It seems that Philemon had. We don't know. There's been time, obviously, between Philemon and Paul's interactions. There's a lot going on here, but this is an amazing picture of what Jesus did for humanity by what Paul did and offered to do for Onesimus. Paul mirrored the gospel when he stepped in as a substitute for Onesimus. Because of Paul, Onesimus will be welcomed back into Philemon's home. Because of Jesus, we are welcomed back into the presence of God. He's modeling the gospel like right through. Martin Luther says it this way. He says, as Christ does for us with God the Father, so does Paul with Philemon for Onesimus. We are all God's Onesimi. When we think of Jesus, this is what he does for us Onesimi, the people that have run from him, that have turned our backs on him, that have been walking away from him. The Son of God took on the flesh and paid the penalty we were due. He did that at the cross. He wiped the clean slate, clothed us with his righteousness, and allowed us to return home to the Father without fear and with full acceptance, covered by the perfect works of Christ, a substitute, one willing to take for us all the punishment we deserved. This is what Jesus does for us. We see this in this, this beautiful picture of reconciliation just kind of woven through this short little book in the New Testament. This picture where two individuals have an opportunity to experience each other and live with each other and extend forgiveness and reconciliation. And the premise behind which Paul is asking them to do it, it's not a new thing for either Onesimus or Philemon. 
Just like it's not a new thing for us to understand reconciliation. If you have spent any time in and around Christ or you have submitted your life to Jesus Christ, you've stepped into that relationship. You understand that there was an expectation of repentance, a need for forgiveness, a recognition of our sinfulness and our separation of God. We've seen this, and this is what Paul says is happening, and he's pleading for it to happen across with each other, not just vertically with God. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to, to, to step in and talk a little bit about the necessary parts of forgiveness and reconciliation, both vertically and horizontally with each other. When I use the each other here, I'm going to speak predominantly into believers to believers. I do believe there is a way with which reconciliation needs to work in certain things with believers. But predominantly what Paul is doing here is, is the expectation of the gospel prevailing in the lives of those that are submitted to the gospel. Philemon doesn't really talk about this in this book. We don't see it. But we have to assume that some of it was there. But that's the first part of forgiveness and reconciliation. That's repentance. Repentance is, is a true recognition of my part in a broken relationship and then turning from my part, turning from my sin and turning to God, turning away from my sin and to God. Confession must include repentance. To sit there and acknowledge all day long that I did something but not ever turning from that action isn't repentance. It isn't anything else. It's to say to God, I see that I did what was wrong but I don't care and I'm just gonna keep on doing it. It's no, I'm grieved by what I did and although I struggle to not do it anymore, I desire not to do it. And I turn myself to God and I walk in this way. We don't see, there's no Philemon 2 or Onesimus 1. We don't, we don't see the interaction here, but we have to assume that there was, if, if Philemon and Onesimus are anything like us in the, in the fact that we're striving to, as children of God, to live out the gospel, but unintentionally, regularly failing to do so. We have to assume that there was some form of a repentant attitude out of Onesimus because, again, think about this for a second. We've all been in a really hard conversation or relationship with someone at some point or another. We've all experienced that. We've all experienced the broken, the fracture of a relationship, whether it's in our family or in the family of God, whether it's a really close friend or someone that's, that's not maybe that close. We've all experienced that break. But can we just stop to acknowledge the tension that had to be present for Onesimus in this and Philemon, really? I mean, think about it. Paul writes this letter, hands it to Onesimus and says, okay, instead of sending these guys, you know, instead of Demas and Luke and my fellow workers, instead of sending any of these people with you, I want you to walk and go hand this to Philemon. Give it to him. We don't know how he was received. We don't know if Philemon saw him off from a distance and ran out to him like the father and the prodigal son and wrapped his arms around him. We don't know if he arrested him before he had a chance to pull the letter from his cloak. We don't know how the other slaves in the house of, of Philemon felt about Onesimus bailing. We don't know if there was familiar hurt in, in Philemon's family by the, the removal of that, if there was a relationship loss there. We, we don't know any of these things, but we, what we do know, what we have to know, and what we do see that Paul would have to say with this, not just conjecture, is that, that Onesimus had shown a repentance of his own sin before God because that's why he's now following the Lord. And so now Paul is asking him to walk in that repentance towards Philemon, I, again, we've all been in really hard conversations. I feel like I've been in a lot of hard conversations, but can we just agree that this is probably harder than maybe what most of us have had to experience? To walk back and do this where the socioeconomic, I mean, there's so many other things at play here. If you've ever lived in a small town, like that's what the church community was, right? Where everyone knows everything because we're all in, in life together. Onesimus is struggling. So confession must include repentance. We see a, a version of this in 2 Corinthians 7.10. We see what this looks like. It says that for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without 
regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now, what this is saying is ultimately that there is a way for us to experience grief and it, one lead to life and salvation and repentance and one lead to death. So let me just be really clear. Both those, they, they start the same. Snot-filled Kleenex, lots of tears, lots of sadness. One leads to a turning from the action. The other minimizes, sits in it, waits on it, ruffles with it, justifies it, and pretty soon, all of a sudden, it's back in that moment again where that grief is gone. And that's the difference here. And so we see that those things are happening. And one theologian says it this way, if we can restore to, a, to full and intimate fellowship with ourselves a sinning and unrepentant brother, we reveal not the depth of our love, but its shallowness. For we are doing what is not for his highest good. Forgiveness which bypasses the need for repentance issues not from love, but from sentimentality. So what is forgiveness? Repentance is the step two, acknowledging what you've done, seeing it, turning from it, asking for forgiveness. Forgiveness is this great exchange. It's taking on the pain you've caused and no longer holding that over you. This is God giving us forgiveness by taking on the pain and the consequences of it and putting it on Jesus, pouring out his wrath, his punishment on Jesus in place of us. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness is then no longer holding those things over him. God choosing to no longer look at you in your sins, but to see you through your advocate, Jesus Christ. It's a choice that God makes. First John 1 through 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is the premise, the foundation of our understanding of the gospel. We were sinners in need of God. We were broken. We, we entered into this world broken. Adam and Eve sinned and broke the relationship, and we've been born into this, and therefore our relationship has been fractured with God. And so there's a need for grace and forgiveness. It's not something we earned. It's something that he gives us freely. This is forgiveness. Now, the forgiveness that we experience with God all over Scripture talks about how we are to extend it with one another, to experience the forgiveness from God and withhold the forgiveness from brothers and sisters is a misunderstanding of the gospel. To experience the forgiveness from God and to withhold forgiveness from another believer, to refuse to forgive another believer, is a misunderstanding of the gospel. I'll just give you a couple of verses that talk about that. Matthew 6, 15, Jesus says, if you do not forgive others their trespassers, neither will your Father forgive you. Matthew 18, Jesus says, Peter asked him, how often shall I, shall I forgive my brother when he asked? And uh, seven times, Peter's like being gracious, seven times at least, that's crazy, right? And he goes, no, seven times seven, or up to 70 times, or whatever you want to say. Basically, what Jesus is saying is anytime your brother or sister asks you for forgiveness, you extend forgiveness. And then we also see just one way, Colossians 1 tells us how we are to forgive, the way with which our forgiveness is supposed to happen with each other, the same way that God has forgiven us. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us in Christ. The standard with how we are to forgive is put on us by God. So when I experience God's vertical forgiveness and I refuse to do it here, we got answers to some, some scripture here. But God doesn't just forgive us. The gospel isn't just forgiveness. That's, that's profound. It's beautiful. The gospel is not just forgiveness. The gospel is that we have been restored, reconciled into relationship with God. To just be forgiven and not reconciled would leave us wanting so much. The gospel goes one step further. It reconciles us. Colossians 1, 22 says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you were separated from God. He has, Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, us, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
we have a reconciled, a restored relationship to God. What Paul is asking Philemon to do is to live out the reconciliation he's experienced in God. What Paul is asking for Onesimus to do is to live out the reconciliation he has before God. He's not asking him to do something that is, that is unfounded and makes no sense. He's saying, in light of who God is to you, in light of what he has done for you, why wouldn't we operate and live true to that with one another? Our restoration vertically with God affects our relationships with each other. So we are to work for reconciliation with other believers. A couple pitfalls we're going to talk about, then I'm going to move this back in here. A couple pitfalls that happen when it comes to reconciliation that I've seen over the short years of, of ministry. Uh, the first one, even in my own life, the, we all have a propensity to minimize our own sins. And this is, this is how it plays out. I'll, I'll use my own self. There's things like, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't. You see what I'm doing? I'm blaming someone else for my sins. Or, I was justified in doing this because when you did, there I am, minimizing my sins. Or, what some of us will do, there's a problem, there's a fight. We do this in our marriages, maybe. She was 95% of the problem. And what we're doing is we're minimizing our 5% as if it wasn't due to the wrath of God and sent Jesus to the cross. We can't minimize our sins. Anything we do that is not the fruit of the Spirit, that is the work of the flesh, is due the wrath of God, sent Jesus to the cross, and we have been forgiven for it. So how dare we make it small as if it doesn't matter, as if it's trite and it's not a big deal? We can't minimize sin. Reconciliation is not going to happen horizontally if we aren't willing to own our part of the sin and realize just how bad our sin is. Another way that this falls apart is an unwillingness to see the Spirit of God in our brother or sister. You see them operating in a way that is contrary to what you would understand of the Scriptures, and they're being angry or they're feisty or they're, they're upset. And what you end up doing is instead of believing that the Spirit of God is in them, that they're submitted to the Spirit of God, you start treating them or, or making judgments before the time that we have no right to make if we look at what Corinthians says about whether or not they're really saved. That's not our, that's not our judgment. We can judge the fruit. We can say, hey, this isn't the fruit of the Spirit. But, but at the end of the day, when we start saying that this person isn't submitted to follow Jesus, what we're saying is that, God, you're too slow in your sanctification process for them. Hurry up. We have to recognize that when people are struggling, it's not always because they're just malicious, evil, demonized villains. Instead, it might be that they're just hurting. And God is at work in them. He's, he's sanctifying them graciously. He's going to finish the work that he completed in them like he promised to do so. That's not a promise based on what we do. That's a promise based on Jesus. And so we have to be willing to see the Spirit of God in them. The other way that, that this falls apart is we tend to, as believers, whether it's in fear of conflict or trying to be holier than thou, or maybe it's just out of a desire to not be unbiblical, we tend to forget that hurts are a real thing. My daughter said to me, she asked me, I was asking her the other day, I was like, hey, what are some of the things I do? This is a, a couple weeks ago. What are some of the things that I do that you don't like? Like, what are some of the things that I do that, that you struggle with? Or what are some of the things you really have a hard time with? And she said to me, she's like, well, okay, you know, this is a daughter that won't hold back. She's fantastic for that. Thank you for that, Lord. And she's like, well, I don't like it when you're mad at me. And I was like, oh, mad, mad at you? When have I been mad at you? And she says, well, and she brings up the scenario the other day, and blah, 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 he said this, and blah, blah, blah. Now, I hear her say that, and I wasn't mad. I was frustrated, but I was not mad at her. What I wanted to say is, oh, you're totally wrong, babe. I wasn't mad at you. Don't worry about it. Move on. 
But what the Lord graciously, for the first time in a long time with my kids, <laughs> helped me to see is stop. She's feeling something. Acknowledge it. Recognize it. And it's like, oh, I could see why that you would assume I'm mad. This is, I could see how that, I could see how that, that tonality could have done that or my body language could have done that. Not recognizing a hurt, even if I said I was not mad, she probably would have believed me. Okay, you weren't mad. But then the very next time I do it, she's going to be like, wait, well, wait. And we never enter into it. When people are hurt, we have to recognize that sometimes reconciliation takes a long time. And let me say this very clearly. Please hear me on this. Focus in everyone. Some of you have been really hurt. I mean, really, really hurt. Hurt in, in just horrific ways. And to presume that we just need to plow through everything and that the relationship just has to be the way it was is not fair or good to your heart to give space. Some people, there may need to be boundaries for a restored relationship before it could ever happen due to some of the hurts. Some people, there may need some, some time and some space to work through these things. Think about it from Philemon's perspective. What if, what if Philemon, he received Onesimus, let's say he did the prodigal son or the prodigal dad, he came out and hugged him, he's like, oh, this is awesome, and they did all those things, and then like three weeks later, Onesimus has a lunch break that he's an hour late from coming home. <laughs> Do you think Philemon might go, wait, is he leaving again? Like, he, he, there, might, there might be something in there. It's possible. To, to rob a person from feeling that is not loving. To sit in those feelings and just justify treating someone poorly is a whole other issue that I don't have time to talk about. But a lot of times, reconciliation doesn't happen because we withhold forgiveness because we don't want a relationship with the person because we don't trust them yet. Or we're too hurt. We're not sure that we really believe that they're repentant. Forgiveness must be extended because we forgive as God has forgiven us. Sometimes relationship can take a little bit longer to restore. Another thing, too, is that we think in this that reconciliation that restores the relationship to the way it was. If you think about that in context to our relationship with God, we have no idea what a relationship with God was like before the gospel. We know that we were dead in our trespasses, doing evil deeds, sons of disobedience, but we don't know what the good was. We understand what reconciliation is after he's reconciled us to him. So sometimes don't hold on to the relationship before the hurt and recognize that God will do something far better than what we could ever imagine in reconciliation. All right, moving forward so that no one falls asleep on me here. What happens if we refuse to enter into this process? Again, there's no Philemon too, but what if Onesimus showed up and Philemon's like, thanks, throws the letter in the, the fire and says, get away from me, I want nothing to do with you. What happens if he doesn't receive this? What do, what do we do in this? Maybe what you, some of you are thinking right now is like, Brent, you don't know how much pain I've been caused. You don't know how hurt I am. You don't know, you don't know the extent of the depth and the pain, and it's just piled on. You don't, you don't know how much it hurts, how much I can do. You're right, I don't. But to refuse this process is to misunderstand what God has done for us. To willfully step back and say, I refuse. I will not do this with a brother or sister. Is to say that I do not understand what God has done for us. One pastor says it this way. He says, when I feel most guilty at the horror of my own sin against God and against Jesus, and when I feel most amazed at my own forgiveness and most stunned at the magnitude of what it cost in Jesus' suffering, I am least likely to be angry at those moments with those who have wronged me. Do you see what he's saying there? So when I realize just how much God has done for me, how dare I withhold that from another brother or sister? When I realize at what it cost for God to reconcile me to him, how dare I assume that he can't reconcile me to someone else? When we really sit in what God has gone through, how can we refuse to give an opportunity 
in the lives of believers around us. When God says, I forgive, I won't forgive you if you don't forgive, he's not putting a condition on his forgiveness. What he's saying is a forgiven people will always forgive. Someone who's been forgiven much, it's really, it's difficult, it's painful, but it's pretty easy to forgive. If you refuse this process with someone, if you deny it by running or ignoring because you don't like conflict or not right disregard for what Scripture shows us, then you have to ask the question, do you really understand the forgiveness and reconciliation that is ours in Christ Jesus? Have you, have you fully let that sink in? It's going to be hard. Just for a moment, think about how hard this must have felt for Onesimus and Philemon. Think about that. If you haven't, if you haven't been confronted in your own heart by God about doing something that you don't want to do, you need to submit yourself entirely more to Jesus because our flesh does not want to do this. The enemy does not want us to do this. Let me just say this. Over the last six months with COVID and racial reconciliation, all the other things, I guarantee all kinds of hurt has been perpetuated in all kinds of relationships. We can't refuse this process even though we are ready and we want to enter into it with someone. Someone else may not be ready. This is important too for us to understand what if Philemon said to Onesimus, man, I really, I really want to trust you. I want to work on this, but I don't, I don't know how yet. Can, can we walk through this together? Or if he refused it, I think this is why the Apostle Paul tells us in, in Romans 12, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. That means that there's a possibility that it may not be possible. I know people in this church that had unreconciled relationships with individuals that have passed away. And I've watched them hurt through that. And I've watched them wish that they could have one more conversation in that situation. It is not possible to have that conversation with the individual. Sometimes people won't be ready. Sometimes people won't be ready. And you need to be faithful. As far as it depends on you, isn't it I made one chance or I sent a, a vague or ambiguous text once. As far as it depends on you, is I've... I've done what I could. This is the working out my salvation with fear and trembling. There's an action. Faith without works is dead. Like, I'm not just going to sit idly by, but I've tried to own. I've done what God has asked me, and people may not be ready. But Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called sons of God. Peacemakers are sons of God. The way that we make peace with one another displays us being sons of God in the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the thing. We cannot will not and should not ever believe that we can change someone's heart. That is a work of God and God alone. Our job is to walk alongside people, walk alongside people closely enough that they're going to frustrate you and you're going to get mad at them and it's going to be hard. Get to know each other enough that we're letting our guard down and they see our, our idiosyncrasies and our struggles with our kids and, and be in proximity where we're going to rub shoulders in a way that, that sin's going to bubble out and, and fall on each other. But ultimately... Ultimately, I cannot, you cannot, we cannot change the hearts of man. That's God's work. Get out of the way for that. Point them back to God. Maybe we just need to make a Paul Philemon Onesimus chart today. When I've been speaking today, many of you, I guarantee many of you have been thinking of individuals or an individual. You're like, man, that, I wish that this person was hearing that. Or you're thinking, I don't know how to say this. Or you're like, man, I'm totally Onesimus in this situation, or man, I'm totally Philemon, or man, I feel like I've been Paul in this situation. Like, maybe we just need to write those down. Say, all right, God, what do you, what do you want from me? Am I the offended or the offender? 
Do I need to, do I need to enter into this with someone else instead of just being in between like a battering back, ram back and forth? How can the gospel prevail in these relationships? How do we do this? There are just too many scriptures that talk about turning a brother from sin, how to respond when we're corrected, and so on and so on that talk about us doing this together. In fact, one of my most favorite verses is about this is, is Ephesians 4.15. It says, speak the truth in love. The context, I didn't even think about it until this, t- this scripture. The context of Ephesians 4.15 goes on and says, so that you may mature in all ways into Christ who's there. So what is he saying? He's saying that when someone, when a brother or sister comes to you and speaks the truth in love, they're part of your maturation process. God's using that to mature you into Christ in all ways, is what it says, in every way. So we need to be willing to speak the truth in love. Are you willing to have these conversations? A couple things that we need to talk about before we have these conversations is things to remember. First off, this always must start introspectively. Actually, before there, let's go there, before we go there. Proverbs 19.11 is where this should start. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his it is his glory to overlook an offense. That word overlook can also be absorb an offense. Sometimes right now, some of you have been wronged. You've been offended. You've been hurt by someone. And he's saying a wise individual, it's good sense, can absorb that wrong. Some of the wrongs that you felt may never need to be talked about. You just need to absorb them. But here's the thing. Here's how you can tell if they need to be talked about. Can you treat the individual as if it never happened? If you are treating that individual differently or you start feeling a root of bitterness, you did not absorb it, <laughs> it needs to be worked through. The next step is it has to start with introspection. If you are only waiting for someone else to tell you your sins, like that should sound a massive alarm in our hearts. Psalm 139, search my heart, O Lord. Right, this should be an introspective process. We must be looking inward and say, God, what in me is sin? What in me is strong? And even if it was 0.00001% of the conflict, then own it as what it is. It's sin. And before God, it's due the wrath and judgment and we are forgiven in Christ. But it starts inward. Jesus in Matthew 7 talks about the log and the speck. And so often we want to look at it, well, it's, okay, is it my plank or is it my speck? And I think the real point of that text is the fact that neither is supposed to be there. So it should start with God. Remove the speck, the plank, the log, the whole fence if you need to, whatever it is. Get it out of me so I can see clearly to help my brother. Whatever it may be, it all has to start introspectively. If the Lord is not confronting you about sin in your life, when you read scripture or spend time in prayer, then I think you might be reading it incorrectly. If you are not being confronted, we, should be sh- we shouldn't be shocked. Like, what, there's sin in me? That shouldn't, that shouldn't shock us. We should be shocked when we act in a situation where it isn't sinful. We need to ask the Lord to open our heart to truth. We need to spend more time in the word of God and in prayer. I have rarely ever seen or been in conflict where it is 100% one person. I understand that that is possible, but it is a rarity. We don't need to be experts of other people's sins, okay? We don't. We need to be faithful to giving our hearts openly to the Lord's gracious pruning introspectively first and foremost. Sometimes people won't be ready to hear it. Love them. Pray for them. Believe the best in them. Sometimes consequences will be present because of sinfulness. That doesn't mean that forgiveness wasn't there. God is very gracious to us to sometimes alleviate and minimize the consequences, but sometimes the consequences are very much there to our actions. But that does not mean his forgiveness is not there, and the same should be true of us with our fellow believers. I want to end you with this story. In 1944, the Japanese army sent Hiro Oneida, I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly, to the Philippine islands of Lubang. 
And his orders were to fight on indefinitely. That's what his orders were. Word never reached him that several months later, World War II ended. And so he just kept fighting, kept fighting. He was, he was in the jungles. He would come out at night, steal food. He'd shoot at people, kill people. And he kept fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting in a war that existed only in his mind. And he kept going. About 10 years in, they wrote an article about him in the Philippines magazine and actually airdropped it all over the jungle with his name, saying the guy that's still fighting a war that didn't exist, he thought it was a ploy, so he didn't believe it. Another 10 years go by, they bring his brother to speak over a loudspeaker to just kind of keep flying around and saying, hey, the war's over. They believe he'd been captured and didn't do it. It wasn't until 1974, 30 years later, they brought the commanding officer that sent him in there to come speak on that loudspeaker, and he finally stepped down. 30 years of his life missed because he was a fighting a fight that didn't exist anymore. And I can't help but think how much of life we miss with each other because we're fighting as if we haven't been reconciled to each other through Jesus Christ. I can't help but think we keep missing out on opportunities to grow and to mature and to see God's gospel move forward in the lives of ourselves and our families and our kids and the people we work with and around us because we keep fighting as if it can't be solved and it has been solved, we are going to feast together as brothers and sisters, whether we agree or disagree about COVID or any other of these things. We are children of God. Guess what? We're feasting together. Get to know each other because we're going to spend a long, long time in the resurrection together. But I can't help but feel we're still fighting fights that aren't serving any purpose. And let me just say this. If you have right now hurt that's turned into bitterness or frustration, or you have that individual that's like, I will not go beyond here. I want to just tell you this as clearly as possible. It's not hurting that individual as much as it's hurting you and the people close to you that you love. And Philemon is a book that's written privately. It could have been just a letter that we never saw, but it's meant to be read in front of the whole church. Why? Because I believe that if, when we don't live this out horizontally, it affects the whole bride. We've seen this. We've all seen this across the board. We've all experienced this kind of hurt that just affects multiple people in the bride. This is one of the things that I think we should learn from Philemon. We can unintentionally think like Oneida and be trapped in our thoughts and our feelings in an unrepentant, unforgiving, or refusing to reconcile, but ultimately it hurts those around us. James 4.1 says, what causes these quarrels among you? We've, we've all spent lots of time fighting. What causes it? among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's starting in here, in you. Stop looking at everyone else. Here, Lord, what can I do here? The band's going to come up, and we're going we're to spend some time worshiping. Here's the thing. Sin begets sin and sin. We all have heard the old adage, the slippery slope, right? But here's the thing with sin. When we leave sin undealt with, when we trifle with it, we are literally trying to tame a wild lion that hasn't eaten for a long time. Sin will devour you. It will cost you. Love is being willing to risk the relationship for the good of the soul of the one who's being confronted. It is a loving thing to confront someone gently after introspection to seek out reconciliation. That is a loving thing to do. Why would we withhold that love? God confronted us of our sin, brought us to our knees before him in, in repentance, extended forgiveness through mercy and grace that we could never fathom, and then picked us up and said, come stand at the right hand of me. Come stand in the throne room of God and worship God in his presence because of what I have done. That's what every believer has experienced. 
how can we not strive for that with other believers within ourselves? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there is uh, always so much room for brokenness to prevail in our lives. Lord, I pray for uh, a ferocious desire to submit to your spirit and what he is doing in our hearts. Um, God, I pray for clarity from you on the things that you, you are identifying us. God, I pray for the hearts of every individual um, that may feel like they are Onesimus or they are Philemon or they need to have a conversation. God, I pray that they would do so with all humility. And they would do so where the entire conversation would be saturated in the fruit of the Spirit. And God, I pray for reconciliation. I pray for reconciliation. If the world will know us by the way that we love one another, oh Lord, I pray that they would see the way that we forgive one another too. God, I pray for reconciliation for all relationships, God. And where there's time needed, I pray for patience. Um, God, I pray ultimately that we would trust you with the hearts of every person in our life, knowing that you have begun a work in them and that you will finish it. Um, and we don't need to meddle in the middle of that, God. We just need to be whatever part you want us to play and get out of the way for you to do what you're gonna do in the hearts of individuals. And so, God, I pray that when people are reconciled, I pray that people wouldn't, um, I could picture Philemon and Onesimus saying, it was all Paul, and Paul saying, stop that, it's Jesus. Um, I can see uh, Onesimus maybe even feeling like he was still indebted to Philemon, and I can see Philemon saying, stop that, you're not indebted. Your sins are gone. You've been forgiven. It's been exchanged. And I can see Philemon struggling to, to love and encourage and receive what needs to be received and wrestle with, with feeling like justice maybe wasn't there. But God, I pray, I pray that the Philemons in the room would get out of the way of your justice because you did something that was profound. You came after us. You said, I want you more than I want justice and I found a way for justice so that I can have you. I pray that we do that with our brothers and sisters. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue